0: Must bribe the jury, Portland. No one will believe us. Ragged tree line on jagged range, perpetual gray, as if in the shadow of something unseen? What seed could grow here where the sun is a deadbeat parent? Here where the land expects nothing and gets just about that? What seed could grow here except something strong, deeply rooted, and slightly bent? From so long reaching skyward for an elusive glow, for arms that barely embrace, then disappear. No one will believe us. Because what are we but wolves raised by ourselves? Outsiders to the Gotham Nation. We are strangers. We are coincidence. Yet an odd common thread connects us. It's in the adjectives, not the nouns, that we overlap. The gray is our familiar, our fodder, our fuel. So when the damp, tired tourist, reading from the dog-eared script, asks, does it always rain like this? The wolves all howl with laughter and lift their faces to drink in The drizzle, William Regan. It is Oregon's birthday. 1956 and Allen Ginsberg is about to tell a bunch of stoned out readies that he saw the best minds of his generation destroyed by madness. This is some Kick-Ass Oregon History. Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History a survey created by the geeked-out history folks at orhistory.com. I'm your host, Andy Lindberg, and under the guidance of resident historian Doug Kank Crispin, we profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. This week... Oregon's Beats. Today we are going to do some
1: juicing.
2: Not those kind of beats. Like man, what is history? Like, what's a podcast, dig? Those kind of beats.
1: It's really just a couple of guys that bonded over a particular way of life. They like drugs, they like sex, they like jazz. And they traveled all around this country, really between New York City and San Francisco in the late 1940s. He doesn't want to come back and live the standard World War II home, marriage, kids, lifestyle, work, and a job. And he starts traveling around the country, meets up with a guy named Neil Cassidy, who becomes his inspiration, and really the inspiration for the whole movement. Guy full of so much energy and vitality, who just wants to fuck everything, consume everything, see everything, be everything. And this is coinciding with the rise of bop and jazz, people like Charlie Parker who's breaking all kinds of senses of convention and rhythm in jazz. And they start doing that with their lifestyle and that translates into literature, poetry and prose.
0: So yeah, man, what is time, dig? And what is that slap face, sting palm, dynamo, cataclysmic pop? that exhilarates and energizes and then the toes turn up in glee. So if this was a radio show Guy Lombardo, Dynamo, it would be Kick-Ass Oregon History C. So flip your wig square and dig. meaning for the term from the street hustlers addicts and users musicians man I'm beat that means I'm without money without a place to stay without drugs for the withdrawal symptoms beat Ginsburg said it meant Exhausted at the bottom of the world, looking up or out. Sleepless, wide-eyed, perceptive, rejected by society. And he's a poet. The Beats, or Beatniks as they are more often called, are distinguished chiefly by their attitude that the aims and ideals of conventional society are meaningless. Life's purpose, if it has one, is merely sensation. The Oregonian, 1958 The only people for me are the mad ones. The ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved desirous of everything at the same time the ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing but burn, burn burn like fabulous yellow Roman candles exploding like spiders across the stars and in the middle you see the blue center-like pop and everybody goes ah. Jack Kerouac, On the Road. It's happening. The urban centers are the places for the beats. San Francisco, North Beach, and New York, specifically the village. Denver gets a little radio play, and some ink is spilled for San Jose, home of the Cassidys. And Oregon actually gets a literary connection in a real, if less than top tier sense. Several literary contemporaries of Kerouac and Ginsburg were from Oregon. Alumni of Reed College were well represented in the Beat Generation. If you look, Oregon is penned into the poetry and prose of the Beats. Philip Whalen was from the Dalles. In 1955, Allen Ginsberg called Whalen. A strange, fat young man from Oregon. In The Slop Barrel, he wrote,
2: We must see, we must know. What's the name of that star? How that ship got inside the bottle. Is it true that your father was a swan? What do you look like without any clothes? My daddy was a steamboat man. His name was Longrin. His ship, the swan, a sternwheeler. Cargoes of oil and wheat between Umatilla and the Dalles before the dam was built. I want
1: to look at you all over. I want to feel every part of you. The beat generation is in many ways a misnomer. It was never a truly nationwide phenomenon, but the core of it, the seed of it, came down to three main men. Jack Kerouac, born in Lowell, Massachusetts, uh, but really finding himself in New York and San Francisco. Allen Ginsberg, whom he met in San Francisco, and Neil Cassidy, who became the muse of the inspiration, the man who they never quite could live out, but they could write about him. They could channel him into uh, prose and poetry, capturing vitality in the life. Coming out of World War II, these men come back, they don't want to follow the standard life that's been set up for them by Life magazine or by Hollywood. They don't want to get married and have two kids and work an 8-5 to five job. So they don't do that. Instead, they go on the road, as Jack Kerouac's novel, uh, 1957, is titled. Really coming out of 47 and 48 with them crisscrossing the country, trying new drugs, having lots of sex, sometimes with each other. Uh, and. Exploring different parts of this country and putting together a lifestyle and an attitude, both a philosophy as well as a day-to-day life routine that uh, broke a lot of norms and rules.
0: The Beatnik's talk is endless and almost inarticulate. Its main theme is one of destructive criticism of everything except the Beatnik way of life. All else is put down in the slang of the bop musician, a form of expression in which one critic said it would be impossible to leave elusive note for the milkman.
1: So for people like Jack Kerouac writing in The Dharma Bums, it's recognizing that America, as he sees it, is driven by consumer culture, driven by consumption and to be beat is to abandon that and to get the rhythm of the road, the beat or the rhythm of that travel, the beat or rhythm of jazz music, but also the beats and rhythms that you get from practicing Buddhist meditation, from consuming lots and lots of drugs, whether it's Benzedrine or opium or um, just lots of marijuana. Um, And all of that comes together.
0: And Oregon, it seems, is a place where those things do come together, where you can find the rhythm of the road, particularly when compared to elsewhere. How is
2: Your Trip to L.A. by Philip Whalen? Here in the north, our houses and their appointments are old-fashioned and a little inconvenient. There's no doubt that our lives here are morally superior to those of the southern people. In the South, there are many cars, the plumbing works, the gas stoves are better. Food's cheaper and the sun is warm. Unfortunately, the air in that place is poisoned. Our city tends to disappear in cold weather.
0: A little after the academic end of the Beat Generation, Whalen penned a beautiful portrait of his Oregon home, White River Ode. White River
2: falls and rises from the sea. A glacier on Mount Hood, a river at government camp, creamy thick with stone flower. Outside Teague Valley, it's clear, a trout stream that my father fished several times a year. Mother found lumps of agate on the gravelly shore, alder, willow, bracken, tarry pines. My sister and I caught crawdads, icy water cooling beer and melons. Oh, Shirakawa, the Kamo River is a god, its waters magically turning red and green. I thought, we'll all stay here forever. But we went home. Now here's Kyoto Shirakawa, the white river again. Flows out of my skull, white sandy ashes of my parents. Water azul, dragonfly, crawfish, blazing trout, and bright carnelian jewels. Never so near, never so far from
0: home. You know, most people writing about the beat generation are so hung up on the marijuana and the sex and the homosex that they don't see the big picture. They don't realize that most of the beats are existential. That they want to die. It's true. The beach chicks surround themselves with death symbols. They wear black shoes, long black stockings, black skirts, and black sweaters.
2: Ghosts by Philip Whalen. of people dead 50 year and not only people theaters and streetcars and large hotels follow me into this dusty little gully none of them ever liked California why don't they stay in Portland where they belong I'm tired of them a new ghost in this morning's dream beautiful and young and still alive how far will that
1: one follow me I'm not chasing any anymore Now, not everyone liked the beat generation, of course. A lot of people thought it was complete bullshit. Bad writing, uh, faddish, and people were teasing the beats as basically bums, that the only thing they're beat on is working. But the beats, and particularly Kerouac, saw it more as a spiritual awakening and enlivening. So he used beat also to mean beatific or beatitude. You gotta remember Kerouac's Catholic, so he's coming out of that tradition. So it's almost a saintliness or spirituality Uh, You'll notice he compares Charlie Parker to the Buddha. He compares Cassidy to a type of saint, uh, a patron saint of America or of the road. So what I'm trying to illustrate is that it's a state of mind, and it's not grounded in a particular time, but the beats in the 40s and the 50s captured it in a way that the popular imagination, even with the hippies, maybe didn't quite get to as much. Gary Snyder, a
0: bonesman-level reedy, just like Dave
1: knows,
0: is very well-respected locally and in the published tomes of the generation. In The Dharma Bums, Kerouac wrote about Snyder and this iconic, romanticized, almost Keyesian vision of logging in a much different time. Jack typed Snyder as saying, I climbed all around the Cascades, off-season and in-season, and worked as a logger. Smith, I gotta tell you about the romance of Northwest logging like you keep talking about railroading. You should have seen the little narrow-gauge railways up there and those cold winter mornings with snow and your belly full of pancakes and syrup and black coffee. Boy, you raise your double-bitted axe to your morning's first log, there's nothing like it.
2: Not Yet Forty, My Beard Is Already White, by Lou Welch. Not yet forty, my beard is already white. Not yet awake, my eyes are puffy and red, like a child who's cried too much. What is more disagreeable than last night's wine? I'll shave. I'll stick my head in the cold spring and look around at the pebbles. Maybe I can eat a can of peaches. Then I can finish the rest of the wine, write poems till I'm drunk again, and when the afternoon breeze comes up, I'll sleep until I see the moon, and the dark trees, and the nibbling deer, and hear the quarreling coons.
0: Jack Kerouac seems to only pass through Oregon, never slowing down much here. It's a transit point to bigger adventures, faster travels, almost there or here I go. As an example, I immediately got a ride on the open highway from two tough young hombres to outside Junction City, where I had coffee and walked two miles to a roadside restaurant that looked better and had pancakes, and then walking along the highway rocks, car zipping by, wondering how I'd ever get to Portland, let alone Seattle. I got a ride from a little funny light-haired house painter with spattered shoes and four pint cans of cold beer, who also stopped at a roadside tavern for more beer, and finally we are in Portland, crossing vast eternity bridges as draws went up behind us to allow crane barges through in the big smoky river city scene surrounded by pine ridges. In downtown Portland, I took the 25-cent bus to Vancouver, Washington, ate at a Coney Island hamburger there, then out on the road, 99, where a sweet, young, mustached, one-kidney Bodhisattva Oki picked me up and said, I'm surprised so proud I picked you up, someone to talk to. And everywhere we stopped for coffee, he played the pinball machine with dead seriousness, and also he picked up all the hitchhikers on the road. Life's like a drag, man. Really a drag. I mean, like, well, a drag, man. Well, if you don't know, everything's all hung up, man. Rugged, you know. Well, you gotta feel it, man. You gotta feel that it's a drag to know it. Then, when you know it, you're cool, and it's a drag, and doesn't make any difference. Kerouac traveled by bus through Portland on February 6, 1949, broke as smoke with a bag of bologna sandwiches. The passenger roster apparently featured two hobos who consistently tried to convince the driver to lower their fare to the Dalles by a few bucks. A blizzard had hit the Columbia Gorge, and Jack napped. When he awoke, he felt what he called hairy horrors at the power of the rugged beauty. He described columns of ice hanging hundreds of feet high. Man, there just ain't no word in hip-talk for enough. Either you're on your way out, Pops, or you're hung up. That's it, yes, yes! Poet Allen Ginsberg did a little more than just passing through Oregon. He performed several memorable readings in Portland, and a few have been preserved on tape. During a reading at Cinema 21 in 1989, Ginsberg reflects on his Oregon experiences.
3: Is everybody in from outside? Yeah. Okay. So... It's 9.15, see how the evening works out, and I'll begin with some music, read from early poems, take a break, and then read up to present, so try and cover uh, 30, 40 years of poetry high spots. Uh, uh, I've forgotten when I was last here in Portland, but I think it was quite a while back. How long? Read, and when, when was that? That's when? Five years Five years, okay. So I have five years of uh, new poetry, plus a lot of old things, old poems. How many here have heard me read before or been at a reading where I've read? And how many have not? So it's the majority not. Yes. So that makes it more interesting. So these poems are part of what was called, for those of you who are too young to remember, part of uh, what was at the time called San Francisco Poetry Renaissance, which involved a number of very great poets, most of whom are still alive, healthier than ever, and more ripe and mature and productive than ever, including from Reed College, Portland. Philip Wayland, now a Zen master. Uh, Philip Weyland Sensei, now given transmission to teach Zen. So it's uh, so the first of the Beatnik hippie, San Francisco poet Zen masters. <laughs> Nothing promised that was not performed. <laughs> Portland Coliseum. The, the a visit of the Beatles. <laughs> Actually, little, there was a little girl there at that time that I went to see the. Uh, it was here that I went to see the show, with a brown piano and diamond white spotlight. Leviathan auditorium, iron rib wired, hanging organs vox, black battery, a single whistling sound of 10,000 children's larynxes, a singing, pierced the ears and flowing up the belly. Bliss, the moment arrived. Apparition. Four brown English jacket Christ hair boys, goofed Ringo battling bright white drums, silent George, hair patient, soul horse, short black skull pole wit, thin guitar. Lenin, the captain, his mouth a triangular smile, all jump together to end some tearful memory song, already ancient in two years. The million children, the thousand worlds bounce in their seats, bash each other's sides, press legs together nervous, scream again and clap hands, become one animal in the New World Auditorium, hands waving myriad snakes of thought, screech beyond hearing, while a line of police with folds arms stand sentry to contain the red-sweatered ecstasy that rises upward to the wired roof. (laughs) Ken Kesey's out tonight also in the Symphony Hall with a crowded house. It's a 1965 December. First party at Ken Kesey's with Hell's Angels. Cool black night through the redwoods. Cars parked outside in shade behind the gate. Stars dim above the ravine. A fire burning by the side porch and a few tired souls hunched over in black leather jackets. In the huge wooden house, a yellow chandelier at 3 a.m., the blast of loudspeakers, hi-fi, Rolling Stones, Ray Charles Beatles, Jumping Joe Jackson, and twenty youths dancing to the vibration through the floor. A little weed in the bathroom, girls in scarlet tights, one muscular, smooth-skinned man, Cassidy sweating, dancing for hours, beer cans bent littering the yard, a hanged man, sculptured, from a high creek branch children sleeping softly in their bedroom bunks and four police cars parked outside the painted gate red lights revolving in the leaves and this is 1968 three years later on Neil Cassidy's ashes a poem which is somewhat in the Rhythmics of sapphic stanza, for those of you who know that form. On Neil's Ashes Delicate eyes that blinked blue rockies, all ash Nipples, ribs I touched with my thumb, are ash Mouth my tongue touched once or twice, all ash Bony cheeks once soft on my belly are cinder, ash, earlobes and eyelids, youthful cock tip, curly pubis, breasts warmth, man palm, high school thigh, baseball bicep arm, asshole annealed to silken skin, all ashes, all ashes again.
0: is leaning on the dusty bar of a bistro and saying softly, I don't believe in God or Billy Graham either. Today's messiahs are all in the loony bins. It's getting high at marijuana parties or deliciously intoxicated anywhere and everywhere with a sharp-eyed awareness of the sights, sounds, and smells. It's having sex as often and in as many ways as you can. It's shacking up for weeks at a time with a beach chick, or picking up homosexuals in a gay bar, or bumming all the way to New York just to see if that Greenwich Village chick is still as good as the memory.
3: I live in New York, 19-
0: In the winter of 1956, Gary Snyder and Allen Ginsberg hitchhiked to Portland. Snyder had brought Ginsberg to read for a number of public readings. On February 14, 1956, Ginsberg read at the Anna Mann Cottage to about 20 people. The next day, Oregon's birthday, he held another session. Ginsberg read the first section from Howl in addition to seven other poems. This show was recorded on tape. Ginsburg was reported to have given a strong, clear reading of his most famous of poems, and it was also noted that the recording had a fine sound quality. The recording had been in the collections at Reed, but its presence had not been widely known. Before the recording's discovery in 2008, it was thought that Ginsburg's reading at the notorious performance in Berkeley on March 18th 1956 was the first recording made of how the tape found at reed was almost a month earlier and had been located in a box simply marked snyder ginsburg one nine five six five in the recording made on oregon's birthday ginsburg has been quoted as saying the line length you might notice that they're all built on box you might think of them as a bop refrain chorus after chorus after chorus the ideal being say lester young in kansas city in 1938 blowing 72 choruses of the man i love until everyone in the hall was out of his head a copy of the recording has been posted on reed's website we'll link to it on our podcast page Washed, bearded, free loving, pseudo intellectual, reefer smoking, non working, self styled artists or writers living in protest of something or other.
3: Generation, you think you live as you choose, or you beat generation, I think you headed for the blue.
0: Larry Bolton, 25, was shot and killed at Portland's Cafe Espresso early Friday in what police described as a beatnik community argument. Some 15 persons who had witnessed the entire affair sat sipping espresso coffees and reading newspapers as the investigation began. Some of them hardly looked up as the dead man was carried from the cafe. I think you headed for the blues It's too bad you went into the blues He pulled up the gun and fired Bolton staggered back a little and fell Blood started to come out of a little black hole in his forehead
1: Around that same time, 1958, beat and beat Nick which was a, a negative term Immediately, um, they're getting criticized in the popular press. So what Kerouac and Cassidy and Ginsburg are seeing as a new form of life for at least some people, others are seeing as a waste of time, as a as a dropping out in a in a pointless way. This comes not from a, an op-ed or from um, some just off-the-cuff uh, reporter, but from an encyclopedia, *The Americana* 1958, and this is how they define beat and what who beats are Uh, inscribing on the road the entry says this book a report of the half literate comments of a group of self-conscious delinquents addicted to traveling at high speed between new york and san francisco and given to jazz dope and the lunatic fringe of sex and literature received attention out of all proportion to its significance as fiction big fuck you out of an encyclopedia the same year that that book comes out so It'd be a mistake to think that the beat generation was ever like something you'd pick up at The Gap or something you'd pick up at Walmart or Target. It was always a fringe, but for some people, the fringe that changed their entire life in the course of their existence.
0: If you look, Oregon is penned into the poetry and prose of the beats.
2: Gary Snyder, lines written sitting on a board on the summit of Mount Hood at four o'clock in the morning in a cold wind. The sun is rising, and I sit on the windswept summit of Mount Hood watching it, shivering in long underwear, glorying in the sight some people will never see and yet consider themselves fortunate. The sun has hit the great snow peaks. Adams is blue-gray with a touch of gold on the eastern slopes. St. Helens rises bluish from a great sea of clouds that is so delicately folded and waved that it might as well be an ocean of froth, its eastern shore being the crest of the Cascade Range. Rainier hangs in the distance between St. Helens and Adams, but because of its tremendous bulk, looks no farther, a great ice-scored monster rising from its own private cloud sea. Jefferson, to the south, has the most sunlight upon it, and now even the lower hills are touched, the shadows and sunlight on them so sharply defined, one might think of great uneven down quilt work. Mount Hood itself is a cold and icy blue down its western slopes. Warm gold and yellow tints the glaciers and the precipices on the east side. A sharp-pointed triangular shadow, slowly receding, is cast far out over the hills, and clouds. The wind blows unabated as it did all night. The tent from which I coldly crawled to write this still rattles and flaps incessantly, and the sun is getting even higher, the world even lighter and warmer.
0: Thank you for listening, Ass Kickers, and be on the lookout for future broadcasts from orhistory.com. We hope that you agree that this episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's broadcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Doug Kank Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available on request. Follow us on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. You can also like us on the Facebook. The email address is oregonhistorian at gmail.com. And visit us at orhistory.com for more insights into podcast topics. We'd like to thank Professor Jeff Jakley, Professor of English and Film Studies at Portland Community College for his gracious interview heard throughout today's broadcast. Want more kick-ass Oregon history in your life? Visit ORhistory.com, where we offer fun, informative, and very kick-ass Oregon history events each and every month. Bus tours, walking tours, live shows, and more. Find them now at ORhistory.com. Just don't get too close to Mr. Kink Crispin. He's so hung up on the marijuana and the sex and the homosex that he just can't see the big picture. You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass.
2: This is resident historian, Doug Kent Crispin, and I have one of the City Light Pocket Poets Series editions of Howl by Allen Ginsberg and I am uh, quite drunk on cheap red wine, and I am now going to read Sunflower Suture by Allen Ginsberg. We'll give this a shot to do it in one take. Sunflower Suture by Allen Ginsberg. I walked on the banks of the tin can banana dock and sat down under the huge shade of a Southern Pacific locomotive to look at the sunset over the box house hills and cry. Jack Kerouac sat beside me on a busted, rusty iron pole. Companion, we thought the same thoughts of the soul, bleak and blue and sad-eyed, surrounded by the gnarled steel roots of trees of machinery. The oily water on the river mirrored the red sky. Sun sank on top of final Frisco peaks. No fish in that stream. No hermit in those mounts. Just ourselves roomy-eyed and hung over like old bums on the riverbank, tired and tired and wily look at the sunflower he said there was a dead gray shadow against the sky big as a man sitting dry on top of a pile of ancient sawdust I rushed up enchanted it was my first sunflower memories of Blake my visions Harlem and hells of the eastern rivers bridges clanking Joe's greasy sandwiches dead baby carriages, black treadless tires forgotten and unretreaded, the poem of the riverbank, condoms and pots, steel knives, nothing stainless, only the dank muck and the razor-sharp artifacts passing into the past, and the gray sunflower poised against the sunset, crackly bleak and dusty with the smut and smog and smoke of olden locomotives in its eye. Corolla of bleary spikes pushed down and broken like a battered crown Seeds fallen out of its face, soon to be toothless mouth of sunny air Sun rays obliterated on its hairy head like a dried wire Spiderweb, leaves stuck out like arms out of the stem, gestures from the sawdust root, broken pieces of plaster fallen out of the black twigs, a dead fly in its ear. Unholy battered old thing you were, my sunflower, oh my soul, I loved you then. The grime was no man's grime, but death and human locomotives. All that dress of dust, that veil of darkened railroad skin, that smog of cheek, that eyelid of black misery, that sooty hand or phallus or protuberescence of artificial worse than dirt, industrial, modern, all that civilization spotting your crazy golden crown, all those blear thoughts of death and dusty loveless eyes and ends and withered roots below, in the home pile of sand and sawdust, rubber dollar bills, skin of machinery, the guts and innards of the weeping coughing car, the empty lonely tin cans with their rusty tongues alack. What more could I name? The smoked ashes of some cock cigar, the cunts of wheelbarrows, and the milky breasts of cars, worn out asses out of chairs and sphincters of dynamos all these entangled in your mummied roots and you there standing before me in the sunset all your glory in your form a perfect beauty of a sunflower a perfect excellent lovely sunflower existence a sweet natural eye to the new hip moon woke up alive and excited grasping in the sunset shadow sunrise golden monthly breeze how many flies buzzed round you you, innocent of your grime, while you cursed the heavens of the railroad in your flower soul? Poor dead flower! When did you forget you were a flower? When did you look at your skin and decide you were an impotent, dirty old locomotive, the ghost of a locomotive, the specter and shade of a once-powerful, mad American locomotive? You were no, never no locomotive, sunflower. You were a sunflower. And you, locomotive, you were a locomotive. Forget me not. So I grabbed up the skeleton thick sunflower and stuck it at my side like a scepter and delivered my sermon to my soul and Jack's soul, too, and to anyone who will listen. We're not the skin of grime. We're not our dread, bleak, dusty, imagineless locomotive. We're all beautiful golden sunflowers inside. We're blessed by our own seed and golden, hairy, naked accomplishment. Bodies growing into mad, black, formal sunflowers in the sunset. Spied on by our eyes under the shadow of the mad locomotive riverbank sunset. Frisco, hilly, tin can, evening, sit down vision. Wow, that went fucking well, dude.
0: (sighs) ORhistory.com